Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody enjoyed their Christmas. Now that it's in our rearview mirror, and we have our sights set on finally putting this year to rest in a few days. But before we could do that and rejoice a little bit, let's get you caught up on everything that's happening in the world of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 170 episodes, I welcome you guys back. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast if you haven't done so already on all major platforms, whether that be on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Amazon Music, or you can go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about me, the pod, etc. It is a Monday, December the 28th, the final one in the year of our Lord 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast is as follows. The college football playoff will begin Friday. January the 1st, 5 p.m., Rose Bowl, which will be in Arlington between Alabama and Notre Dame, followed by Clemson and Ohio State. I'll preview both of those games, what will be the key matchups in these semifinal games, and will anybody upset Alabama as they look like they're going to cruise to a national title. I'll also get into some baseball as the hot stove has been pretty much dead this offseason, but there was a little bit of spark last night. As a proposed trade between the San Diego Padres and the Tampa Bay Rays. Where Blake Snell, the ace of the Rays, looks like he's going to be going west for a bunch of prospects. Will that spark up the hot stove this offseason? There was also another trade earlier this week, which we'll get to. As well as everything else that's happening in baseball. Besides that, there's not much. But we'll touch on that. As well as everything that's happening in the first week of the association. As basketball is underway, I'll recap the games on Christmas. Also a couple of other odds and ends, what's going on. In the league itself. Also my hero and zero of the week. But before I begin. I just want to say a few words. As we get to say farewell to this godforsaken year. That no one saw coming. You know every now and again I like to share some nuggets. Or reflect on what's happening. Trying to keep things positive. Trying to uplift. As you the listener may be going through a thing or two. And stop by on your busy journey. Just to listen to what it is that I have to say. About what's happening in the world of sports. And for that I thank you. And I'm very appreciative of that. I truly mean it. Because without you guys, I'll just be talking to myself. And even though if that's the case, so be it. Because this is what I love to do. But the bottom line is, is that with you guys out there listening to what it is that I have to say, it would be an injustice if I didn't mention you guys. So again, I thank you twice more than once for all that you've done. Not only just in the past year, but also the almost three years that I've had this podcast. But as we can smell the end of the year... It's coming close, just three days away to New Year's Eve. We could all celebrate, gear up to say good riddance, sayonara, hallelujah. But let's remember one thing. 2021 doesn't guarantee anything. It may be a clean slate as far as the calendar goes, but with what took place in Nashville on Christmas morning, for one as a reminder that none of the negative and evil that lurks in all corners of this country and even the world 
and usually happens unexpectedly, isn't going away anytime soon. COVID is still here raging strong. Racial inequality, police brutality isn't going to vanish because the new year is on the horizon. And let's not forget that the current administration in the White House hasn't exited stage right. And when that time comes, I'm sure it won't be without a fight. So my point in saying all this is that although sports is what I truly love to discuss and sharing my opinions, thoughts, analysis, etc. That's why you're here each and every week or sometimes twice a week for that matter to divulge everything that I say on this microphone. It would be irresponsible for me to have this platform not to share a little insight and truth on what possibly lies ahead, but more importantly, how not to get caught up in it. We're all responsible for our well-being, which includes what we consume. We can never run away from all that takes place in the world, but we don't have to indulge or get so wrapped up in it that what happens on the outside, that we don't take care of what's inside. And that's our mental, our spiritual, psychological, and emotional game. Think of what you learned this year. What are the takeaways from a year that we would like to forget but puts perspective on what's important? What needs to be kept? What needs to be purged? How can you improve? Now, I'm far from a psychological major, that's for damn sure. And I know you're here for sports, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I want you guys here for the long run. I want to interact with you. I want you to share why didn't the Mets sign this player? Or how come X playoff team didn't go for it on fourth down? Or what you like or don't like about the J-Reels podcast? Because in the end, what truly matters is how you treat yourself and how you treat people. No one is coming to save you from a dreadful 2020 and 2021. The more noise on the outside that you block out, the better you will be because the only one that can save you is you. So once again, I appreciate you guys, your support in almost the three years that I've been doing this to entertain, inform, vent, spew, etc. in what I call the toy department of life. Just wanted to start off the podcast on that note since this is not necessarily the final podcast of the year, which I'll talk about later on, but the final Monday podcast with just a few words of encouragement, wisdom, whatever you want to call it, as we now open up some sports gifts that have been left under the tree, and we'll get to do so right now as we start off with the NFL season ready to make its final turn toward a week 17, although week 16 has a very big game tonight in New England between Buffalo and the Patriots which I'll get to later on. But as we close out week 16, the winners and losers for this past week is as follows. First winner, and they had no business winning the game, but it's the Miami Dolphins. They ran out of Vegas with a late Christmas gift because of what took place in those final seconds out in Allegiant Stadium against the Raiders. And before I even get to Gruden, and a lot of people are killing him as to why he didn't go for the touchdown there late in the game, But right now, I want to make it about the Dolphins for Ryan Fitzpatrick to come into the game. And that was a good move on the coach of Brian Flores because Tua Tagovailoa, who did complete 17 to 22, but only for 94 yards, the offense was stagnant. They weren't really able to move the ball. And you have a guy in Fitzpatrick who has been a leader, who's a guy that a team can rally around. He's a good relief pitcher. That's what he is. When you see him for long stretches of a regular season, You get to see his warts. You get to see the good and the bad. And we can say that for all quarterbacks throughout the league. But when you have a guy like Fitzpatrick in your back pocket, as Brian Flores has, he knew he had to press that button in order for the Dolphins to have any chance to win the game. And then who would have thought that at 25-23, with 19 seconds to go and no timeouts, with the ball at around the 25-yard line, for him to not only get hit in the face by the defender, I forgot who it was off the top of my head, and to literally throw the ball blindfolded 
to an area in the field where the tight end, Mike Hollins, just happened to be standing there waiting for the ball, which probably took about 25 minutes to land into his arms, to then roll out of bounds. So with that big play on top of the roughing the passer to set themselves up in field goal range and for Jason Sanders to kick the game-winning field goal for the Dolphins to not only win the game, but put themselves in good position in the AFC, especially with what took place yesterday, and we'll get through it all. But the Dolphins, again, had no business winning the game. Kudos to Coach Flores. Kudos to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Kudos to the Miami Dolphins for winning that game and keeping themselves in the mix there as far as the AFC playoffs are concerned right now as they're fifth in the conference and looking to secure that playoff seed and that position in a game Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. Quickly with the Raiders, I know that the Raider Nation out there is thinking, why didn't Gruden go for the touchdown there? And he could have, but all he was doing was trying to milk the clock since the Dolphins didn't have any timeouts, and he did exactly what should have been done. Kicked a field goal with 22 seconds to go, three seconds elapsed, 19 seconds left in the game. Again, Dolphins had no timeouts. I understand it's a field goal, he's still going to go for a touchdown, but if your defense can't make a stop, or can't avoid a stupid penalty as they did in that series, then you don't deserve to win the game. That's all there is to it. I thought Gruden did the right thing by kicking the field goal. He did exactly what needed to be done. And even with Fitzpatrick coming into the game and working a little of his Fitz magic there toward the end where it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of lead changes there in those final few minutes. But if you can't secure that game with the way it all unfolded, you don't deserve it. To me, that's not on Gruden. It's not on his play calling. Yeah, you could question on whether or not he should have probably thrown the ball or whatever. But still, you got to win the game there with 19 seconds and no timeouts. Got to. So I can't kill him for that. So the Dolphins are my number one winner. And my second winner of the week are the Jacksonville Jaguars. And not for the reasons that they should be a winner, but because their loss yesterday, 14 straight losses, and now have secured the number one pick for the 2021 draft, which means... Trevor Lawrence will more than likely be their quarterback for the foreseeable future. And everybody in that region could rejoice and finally look to say that maybe somewhere down the line, 2023, 24, 25, that this could be the guy that could take us to the promised land. Will it mean Super Bowl? Who knows? But maybe there'll be some relevancy in that part of Florida, knowing that in South Florida, they have a team going to the playoffs and that in the panhandle, In Tampa, they have a team going. Maybe Jacksonville somewhere down the road could do that. So congratulations to them on getting the number one pick for next year's draft. Now to my losers. My first loser are the Indianapolis Colts. For them to have a 24-7 lead midway through the third quarter and stopping the Steelers on a first and goal situation where I'll get to the Steelers in that game a little bit later on. But right now it's about the Colts. For them not to secure that game as awful as the Steelers have played and for as good as the Colts have played over the last few weeks, just a terrible job on their part. They weren't able to get key stops in key situations after that first and goal where they stopped Pittsburgh on the fourth and goal and even though they were able to turn the ball over on downs, or I should say they were able to go three and out and then punted the ball and that's when the Steelers led their march on the comeback. But for them to not win that game, that's going to be the game Frank Reich is not going to be able to sleep all win along. Because right now, with them losing that game, and with Baltimore, Miami, and even Cleveland losing, but remember, they don't have tiebreakers against the Browns. They are now on the outside looking in as far as the AFC playoff picture is concerned. 
So I know they're sick. I bet Phillip Rivers hasn't slept a wink. Same for that defense and for the head coach as well. So they're my loser number one. And my second loser are the Washingtonians. Here they were with a great opportunity two weeks ago at 6-7. and seven. Two home games. All right, tough one against Seattle last week in which they lost. And then against a Carolina team that has been wounded for weeks now. And they should have taken care of business. But with Alex Smith, the quarterback, and his status, even for next week right now, is uncertain as far as his health goes. And for Dwayne Haskins and everything that happened to him this week, going to a strip club after the game without a mask last Sunday. Also a situation where his girlfriend had a birthday party, although it was about 10 people, but that was also maskless, which doesn't abide by the COVID-19 rules and regulations by the NFL. And for him to put up that stinker yesterday in a game that if they would have won, pretty much would have wrapped up the NFC least. But for him in the post game to say, hey, it is what it is, tough loss, yada, yada, kind of makes you think that the Dwayne Haskins era is going to be over by the end of this season and just a bad job by him. And now it's all on the line where Sunday night, your matchup between Washington and Philadelphia is going to be the highlight game. Just goes to show you that that's 2020 in a nutshell. Because who would have ever thought that those two teams would be the final game of an NFL season. So Washington gets one more crack at winning a division, this time on the national stage, Sunday night for the whole country to see. And boy, I'm sure everybody down there in the nation's capital are hoping and praying that a one Alex Smith comes back and starts a quarterback because right now it is looking pretty bad for the Washingtonians who pretty much had their fate in their own hands over the last few weeks and it's slowly but surely slipping right through and I'll get to all the permutations later on because one of three teams can win a division and in fact, think about this. This is all you need to know. The Giants right now are 5-10. and 5-10. and 10. And they could still win a division. So that'll lead us into what took place over the weekend and we'll start on Friday. We'll go through these first few games real quick. The Vikings were put out of their misery by the New Orleans Saints. Headlined by Alvin Kamara's six touchdowns. That's right. One, two, three, four, five, six. Which ties an NFL record, which I believe Gale Sayers had back in 1965, if I'm not mistaken. So the Saints inch a little bit closer. Do not have the one seed. And again, we'll go through all the AFC, NFC seedings as of right this second later on. And I understand the last Kamara touchdown, that could have been questionable for Sean Payton to bring him back in the game with, what, two minutes to go. And he scored it, I guess, right after the two-minute warning. All right, it could be questionable and maybe a little Bush League. But the Vikings, who had a long year but had an interesting stretch here where they were still in the mix as far as the NFC playoff picture goes. But right now, you could kiss their season goodbye as the Saints were able to win by a whopping score of 52-33. As for the games on Saturday... All you need to know about the Tampa Bay-Detroit game is that Tom Brady played one half and then Blaine Gabbert started the second half. That's all you need to know. 47-7, Brady had a huge game, threw for 348 yards, was near perfect, 22-27, for four touchdowns, what could you say? As Detroit, they're looking to reload and hopefully get their act together as far as being anything close to an NFL team because they have not shown that here over the last few years. That was game number one. The second game was San Francisco and Arizona. And I knew that this was going to be a dangerous game for this reason. San Francisco, that's become their second home here over the last month and change. And I'm not going to attribute all to having it be 
a comfortable environment or knowing their surroundings, but I'm sure it helped a little bit because Arizona did not play well. I know it came down to that last play where Kyler Murray got hit and who knows what his status will be, although he said he's fine, but it didn't even look that bad upon first glance, but he laid on the turf for quite some time after that incomplete pass to DeAndre Hopkins on the sideline there, but not a good performance by the defense as C.J. Beathard came in there and carved him up for three touchdowns. Jeff Wilson ran for 183 yards. And Arizona, which looked like a lock for the postseason about three, four weeks ago, right now they're on the outside looking in because of this loss to their divisional foe in the Niners. So a bad look there, bad loss as they now need some help and a win on Sunday at LA against the Rams. And we talked a little bit about the game Saturday night between Miami and Las Vegas just a short time ago. So no need to recap that. As we get to the games yesterday, and I'll get to just the key games. I'm not going to get into Cincinnati and Houston or Denver at the Chargers. Although the Chargers give it up to Justin Herbert, who now has the all-time rookie record for touchdown throws, which eclipsed Baker Mayfield just a few years ago. I believe he has now 28 touchdowns or whatever it is. So good things happening there in Los Angeles as they've built a little bit of a camaraderie under Anthony Lynn. Does that mean he's going to be back next year? As head coach of the Chargers, remains to be seen. I would think it'll be part of Black Monday a week from today where coaches will be dropping like flies throughout the league. But they have played for him and they have played well and lost a lot of brutal games and close games throughout the season. So their record could be on the other side of 6-9 and nine right now. They could be 9-6, and six, but that is not the case. So give it up to the rookie quarterback there out of Oregon. But to get to some of the big games, and I'll breeze through it as quick as possible... Kansas City had to fight long and hard against the Atlanta Falcons of all teams at home where they had a chance to tie the game at the end of regulation and their kick went wide right. But the Falcons may be the film that a lot of people will go to as far as a blueprint for how to play that lethal chief offense as Mahomes and company didn't really do too much. I know Travis Kelsey, back-to-back 100-yard seasons, also the most receiving yards by a tight end in the history of the league. Congratulations to him, but the Chiefs continue to roll, continue to steamroll and toward the playoffs. And as I mentioned last week, as far as my chief concern, well, now you really got to wonder, since they've wrapped up home field throughout the AFC, they do host the Chargers next week. What does this mean for Andy Reid and company? Does he give all of his starters the week off? So in turn, he'll give them three weeks off before their divisional playoff game? Or does he put them in for a half just to get them tuned up Get them some playing time under their belt, knowing that they have a bye the following week. This is what's going to be fascinating, because as we saw last year with the Chief team, they came out flat as a pancake for a quarter and a half against the Houston Texans to where they were down 24-0, and then we know what happened after that. I'm sure that Andy Reid, as great as he is off of bye weeks, I'm sure he's going to plant that seed into his team's head about what happened last year, despite them winning, but they don't want to fall behind that deep of a hole, and knowing that they can be picked off with that week off and with whomever they play the following week will go in there with a little bit of momentum, a little bit of steam. Something to keep in mind. Something just to keep that in the back of your head as we march on into January and through the postseason because this team has now won 10 straight, hasn't lost. It would almost help the Chiefs to lose next week only just to kind of get it out of their system so they could start afresh come the middle of January as opposed to going in with 11 straight victories and knowing that they'd have to literally run the table from, what is it, early October to the end of January and into February to win another Super Bowl. 
Not going to be easy. So just something to keep in mind there as we move along. Bad performance by Cleveland yesterday. I know I could have put them as one of my losers. But the reason why I didn't is because they had four starters of their wide receiving core. Jarvis Landry, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Rashard Higgins, etc. Did not make the trip due to the COVID-19 protocols and close contacts and things of that nature. So without having your starting wide receiving core, how do you expect the Browns to put up the points and put up enough yards against a Jet team that now has a little bit of life here at the end of the season? And good for them. They beat a 9-win team in LA on the road last week and then a 10-win team at home in the Cleveland Browns. Does that mean Adam Gase is going to survive? Chances are, I would think not. Again, hence Black Monday. But the Browns put up a stinker. Baker Mayfield in the postgame said that a lot of it was on him with the fumbles. He has to take care of the ball. It was tough to be out there today, especially without his wide receiving core, but did the best he could, but it wasn't enough as they lose to the Jets there 23-16. Speaking of teams that have now put themselves in the top seven, We mentioned about Arizona being on the outside. Well, the team that's inside right now are the Chicago Bears. Looked like it was a little dicey at first where Jacksonville took a 3-0 lead early and then it was 10-10 before they put on the Jets and took off where, of all people, who would have thought that Mitchell Trubisky would come back and resuscitate this team? Remember, they started off 5-1, lost six in a row. They were 5-7. I thought they were going to be left for dead and had no pulse. And now here they are. If the season ended today, and we know there's still a week to go, but they'd be in the postseason, they would play the two seed in the NFC, and they have a lot of gas in their tank, a lot of momentum. Who knows if that's going to carry into next week where they'll host Green Bay, and Green Bay's going to need the game. We'll get to them in a minute, but great job by the Bears. No letdown, not a trap game, knowing that the Bears were going to play at home against the Packers. Certainly kept the focus. Great job by Matt Nagy and company not to slip or at least to have Jacksonville hanging around this game as they win 41-17. The Giants, as I mentioned before, 5-10 with their loss in Baltimore yesterday. The Ravens continue to run the ball and do Raven things and put themselves now. They were on the outside looking in yesterday and here they are, part of the AFC playoff mix where the Giants, they need a wing and a prayer. Obviously, they need the Washingtonians to lose, and then they have to beat Dallas in order for them to win a division, and we'll get to that later on. We talked about the Washingtonians and their being one of the losers yesterday, and that was just a bad game. I mean, what could you say? I know Ron Rivera against his former team, maybe there was a little bit of juice on the Panthers' sideline for them to try to get that win against their old coach. Who knows, but they did not show up in the game yesterday and played poorly, as you saw as they lost 20-13, but it was 20-3 midway through the third quarter. Their comeback fell short. Dallas, let's keep it there in the NFC least, as I like to call it. Dallas with a resounding 37-17 win, put the Eagles out of their misery, and who knows what that means for Doug Peterson, maybe being on the chopping block for next year. Chances are the quarterback isn't going to go anywhere, and that's a one Carson Wentz with all the money that he's owed. But it may be time for Doug Peterson to go. That's up to Howie Roseman and company the GM of the Eagles, but the Cowboys give it up. They've turned their season around. They suffered that tough loss in Baltimore, but won against Cincinnati. They had a big win here yesterday against the Eagles. And now if they come to the Meadowlands next week, they could actually win a division with their record at six and nine. So think about that. Dallas, which was three and nine, three and nine. Could you imagine these records three and nine giants, five and 10, and they were still in the playoff hunt. I guess if 2020 was an NFL season, all you have to do is just look at this division. So 
We'll talk about Dallas's chances next week as they play the Giants, but a big win. Andy Dalton, obviously, had a huge game, 377 yards. The offense certainly shined as bright as they possibly can without Dak Prescott. Remember, they put up big numbers early on this year before he got hurt, and now they've come to this point of the season where they could play for a division title, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. The Rams have fallen on hard times. Not only did they lose to the Jets last week, but they had a chance to win a division by sweeping the Seahawks yesterday, and they didn't do so in the Pacific Northwest. The Seahawks, pedestrian game, not much to write home about when it comes to their offense is concerned, but they did just enough to win the game. Now, they may be concerned for the Rams as Jared Goff may have a broken thumb. Don't know what his status will be considering that he hurt it on the throw where it banged into the Seahawks lineman's helmet. If he doesn't play, who knows where their playoff hopes will go. But that would be a huge blow for a team that after the game against the Patriots were riding high and they've been Jekyll and Hyde all year, the Rams. They've shown you those performances where they've come out like gangbusters and look like they're going to be the team to beat in the NFC knowing that they have the combination of the balanced offense and the very good defense, especially along that defensive line. But when you put in those stingers as they did early this year in Miami, that game at home against San Francisco, throw the game against the Jets and then yesterday in Seattle knowing that they're Division and the season was pretty much on the line and they didn't show up is just a testament to how this Ram season has been overall and would be a bitter end if they don't get to win next week against Arizona and they do have tiebreakers against them so that does bode well but a huge blow and a huge loss there by the Rams against the Seahawks and then you had the Sunday night game where Green Bay and Tennessee in the snow which always looks beautiful on HD but the Titans, with the loss by the Colts early in the day, knew they could have wrapped up the AFC South. And they made it close there in the third quarter in 1914. But it was too much Aaron Rodgers, too much Devontae Adams, too much A.J. Dillon. As their offense just took over, they end up winning 40-14. to And the Packers, the top seed right now in the NFC, looking pretty good. But have a big game in Chicago, as I mentioned. And we'll get to that in a second as far as all the permutations, all of the Playoff seedings, how it could all shake down, break down, etc. in just a moment. But before I get to that, I want to talk about the Steelers real quick. Their game last Monday night, I'm not going to get into it too much, but that first half was not only the worst half of Steeler football that I've ever witnessed, but I was probably the worst half of NFL football that I've ever witnessed. It was an abomination unlike any other. And not to recap that because that was last Monday, but I had to make that a note only because what you saw from this team for two and a half quarters yesterday, it made you think that if this team never played football before, they can't catch a pass. They can't even get first downs on their opening drive. They pass the ball three times, all incomplete. We know that there's no semblance of a running game, but Tom didn't even want to try that. Deontay Johnson is getting all the targets in the world. Yeah. Some to Juju, some to Eric Ebron. What happened to James Washington and Chase Claypool? I might add. And again, I'm talking about the first two plus quarters. Steelers had 98 yards of offense in the first half, followed that up by the 38 the week prior against the Bengals. And I thought to myself, how is this team 11-0? So now the second half begins. Colts get the ball. They march on down the field. And prior to that, right before the half, they had a huge break on that holding call, I might add, where... Naheem Hines caught a screen pass and he took it all the way down inside the 10-yard line but had to bring it back. That actually could have been a touchdown and probably could have put the game away because that would have been too big of a deficit for the Steelers to come back from. 24-7, midway through the third is not impossible, 
But it's still three scores considering how this offense had played over the last few weeks. So they got a break there. And Tomlin's management of the clock there at the end of the first half, I know I'm nitpicking, but it was just horrible. And I get he probably just want to get into the locker room. But with that being said, so now the Steelers get the ball after the field goal. Now they finally incorporate Chase Claypool into the offensive mix to where he gets a few catches. They start to stretch the field a little bit. They get down to the goal line, first and goal. And what happens? They can't punch it in. And they had to go for it there. A field goal was going to do nothing for you. And I get it in the grand scheme of things. Well, you need the points because then you just need two touchdowns. But no, at that stage of the game, it was about what? Seven, six minutes to go off the top of my head. And they weren't able to capitalize there. I said to myself, there's no way they're going to win a game. Now that they finally muster up a decent drive and they can't punch it in, they get stuffed. Now watch the Colts go right down the field, either kick a field goal or get the score to make it 31-7, and that would have been it. Didn't happen. The Steelers get the ball back, and the next thing you know, that pass down the sidelines to Deontay Johnson. That seemed to jumpstart the offense to the point where they're able to come back in the game. They get the touchdown to Ebron. Later on, the touchdown to Smith-Schuster. They get an interception there by Mike Hilton, who's been playing out of his mind over the last few weeks, and they need him in the worst way because we all know defensively they've suffered a lot of injuries. More so to the linebacking core than the secondary, but still. And then the Steelers do get the ball back. They get a couple first downs. They weren't able to get a first down before the two-minute warning. And then the Colts, as they look like they're ready to get deep into Steelers territory, they weren't able to convert on a fourth and seven, and the Steelers win 28-24, and what could you say? They win a division, North champs, no big deal. Not going to go crazy about it. And that's not because of the way they've been playing, but to me it's about Super Bowls. It's not about division titles. Yes, that's something to hang your hat on because that means you have a home game. And next week, who knows how they're going to play it. As far as their starters go, get some rest. They know that they're going to have a three seed at worst. Depends on what happens in New England tonight. Well, I think New England's going to be in the game. I'm not going to say they're going to win, but Buffalo has been on this winning streak as well. They've won five in a row. They've been playing lights out. I could see them stubbing their toe here. And I wouldn't be shocked if they come out with a loss. I'll say that right now. But right now, it looks like they're going to be a three seed because you would think that they're going to beat Miami, although it's going to be a tough game where the Dolphins come into Orchard Park. But you would think the game at home, get the bad taste out of their mouth against New England if they do lose and they'll win the game. And then, of course, Pittsburgh has to win that game in order to get themselves the number two seed in the AFC. But just finally, you could let out a sigh of relief knowing that not only did the Steelers finally win a game, they were able to come from behind, they were able to muster some drives, they were able to execute down the field as opposed to dinking and dunking, and hopefully that leads to a road of bigger and better things. Because they needed that win in the worst way because there was no way they could have gone to Cleveland next week thinking that they would have not only started their season 11-0, but then lose the next five. If you're Mike Tomlin, depends on what happens tonight, you would think if Buffalo wins the game, He's probably going to play his starters a quarter and then play out the string. I would think that. Because right now it doesn't matter whether you're three or two. Yeah, it does. But at the same time, chances are it looks like you're going to be playing either Baltimore, Cleveland, or Miami right now. One of those three teams. Obviously, you're not going to play Tennessee or Indianapolis depending on how that shakes down because they're going to be the division winner. And right now Miami's the five seed, but they could drop if they lose and then Baltimore and Cleveland win their games. So it's either going to be one of those three teams that Pittsburgh's going to face. 
And who knows? It could be Cleveland, but I think it's going to be Baltimore, which I do not want to see because right now they're playing well. But we'll worry about that down the road. But the Steelers finally righted the ship and hopefully, as I said before, get their act together right in time for the postseason. Now, quickly to look ahead to Week 17 before I get to the conferences. Week 17 right now, you have 12 of the 16 games that have some type of meaning when it comes to the playoff positioning. And Miami and Buffalo is one of the games at 1 o'clock. It's a highlight game, you would think, because Miami looking to secure their bid to the postseason. Same for Pittsburgh and Cleveland. We know that Cleveland needs to win their game in order for them to make it. Baltimore as well, they go to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is one, two in a row after beating Houston yesterday. Dallas, as we said, they play the Giants at MetLife. Atlanta goes to Tampa. Green Bay at Chicago, which that's going to be a fascinating game. Again, Green Bay with the one seed in Chicago trying to keep that seven seed in the NFC. Indianapolis hosting Jacksonville. Could you imagine them bookending their season with losses against Jacksonville? Bad enough, and I've said this a couple of times here over the last 14 weeks, how I picked Indy as my knockout choice week one against Jacksonville. And of course, what does Jacksonville do? They win the game, and then they haven't won a game since. So watch them win this coming Sunday, although I don't think that's highly unlikely. We don't have to worry about the Chargers in Kansas City because Kansas City can rest everybody. But as I said before, that is the hot-button question on whether or not Andy Reid sits his starters and gives them technically three weeks off. Arizona and the Rams, huge game there at 425. Seattle, San Francisco, New Orleans to try to see maybe they could get a one seed. They go to Carolina. Tennessee's at Houston. And then, as we said before, the Washingtonians are in the city of brotherly love to play the 256th regular season game against the Eagles. So now as we go through the standings, and we'll start with the AFC. Once again, Kansas City has home field throughout the AFC, so no worries there, no matter what happens there on Sunday against the Chargers. Your two seed right now is Pittsburgh because they're at 12-3. and We'll see what happens tonight with the Bills. If the Bills lose tonight, all Pittsburgh has to do is win next week against Cleveland, and they'll have themselves the two seed. So that means they'll be able to host two home games if they win the wild card game to open up the following weekend. Now, if Buffalo wins, they'll be back in the two seed. So you'll have another scenario next week where if Buffalo wins next week, they'll have the two seed. But if they lose and Pittsburgh wins, they'll have the two seed. Then you'll have Tennessee and Indianapolis fighting out for the four seed. Tennessee right now does have the tiebreakers against the Colts because they have a better conference record. Let me just double check that. Yes, they do have a better conference record. So if they both end up at 11-5, and five, they will have the division crown in the AFC South, followed up by the Dolphins, then the Ravens, and then the Browns. Now, how this all shakes down between these teams, think about this. You have four teams at 10-5, and five, but for only three spots. Whereas we said before, Indianapolis right now is on the outside looking in. So for Indianapolis to get in, they would need a combination of Cleveland, Baltimore, or Miami losing... And, of course, the Colts beating Jacksonville in order for them to make the playoffs. So they're going to need some help. Now, if they lose, there's no way they can make it. They need to win and have all the other teams lose, which could happen. Because, obviously, the Dolphins could lose in Buffalo. You don't think the Ravens, with the way they've been rolling, will lose in Cincinnati. And then Pittsburgh can be Cleveland. So there is a possibility that the Colts do sneak in to make it in the wild card round. So that's what you have there in the AFC. Simply put, not much else there to discuss. As far as the NFC goes, 
Now, this is where it gets a little dicey with the one seed because right now Green Bay has it. And Green Bay has tiebreakers over the Saints because of their head-to-head matchup earlier this year. But if for whatever the reason, that if Green Bay loses against Chicago, and it could happen, and then New Orleans and Seattle win, they'll all be tied at 12-4, and which would mean, because of tiebreakers, New Orleans will get the bye. Because with Seattle being a part of the troika of 12-4 and records, that cancels out their head-to-head with New Orleans and Green Bay, which is weird because of the conference records. Because the Saints have a better, will have a better conference record than the Seahawks. And Seattle could get the one seed if it's just them and Green Bay. And that's because of common opponent and who they've beaten. So there's a lot of combinations to digest as to who gets the number one seed. Green Bay wins, they got it, automatic, no problem. But if you do get a tie, Seattle, Green Bay, I believe Seattle gets it. If it's Seattle, New Orleans, Green Bay, then New Orleans gets it, which is weird because even though they got the head-to-head loss with Green Bay, and you think that that would trump the tiebreaker with New Orleans, but for whatever the reason, it does not. So we have that just to pay attention to. But let's just say if it goes as chalk, if Green Bay does get the number one seed and New Orleans is able to hang on to get the two seed, then you'll have Seattle at the three and then whoever comes out of the NFC least, and I'll get to them in a second. But if you have Seattle win and New Orleans lose, then Seattle will have the two seed. And obviously if they both win or both lose, it will remain the same where New Orleans will have the two seed and Seattle the three. So that's the only way Seattle could get a two is if they win and New Orleans loses. And then to get to the NFC least, so this is what you got. If the Washingtonians win Sunday night, they're in. They win a division. They host a home game. The winner of the Dallas Giant game, coupled with the loss against the Washingtonians, they'll win the division. So right now with Dallas at 6-9 and nine and the Giants at 5-10, and 10, if the Giants win, they cancel out the Cowboys because they have the better divisional record than Dallas does. And obviously if Dallas wins, they'll be 7-9, and nine, which will beat the Washingtonians record if they lose Sunday night to Philadelphia. So that's how the division shakes down. And again, if the Giants do win, not only will they have a better division record against the Cowboys, but they also have tiebreakers against the Washingtonians because they swept them in the regular season. So at 6-10, and could actually win you a division here in the year 2020, which would it surprise you if that's the case? Then you have Tampa. Right now, they're going to be entrenched in the five. Even if they lose... And the Rams win. The Rams can jump up a spot because they have tiebreakers over the Buccaneers. But the Rams are going to have to fight to the finish against the Cardinals, as we talked about. Because right now, with the Bears having the seventh seed and them needing to beat Green Bay, they have tiebreakers over Arizona due to common opponent. Because right now, they both have the same conference record and they're both eight and seven. So this could all change by this time next week. And we'll be able to break it all down, dissect it all, etc., etc. Here as we get into the final lap, or pretty much right into the home stretch to get to the finish line here of an NFL season. And before I get to college football, we could wrap up the over-unders for the NFL a week early. And so I do not have to worry about a week 17 to figure out which teams are going to make it as an over and an under that I chose very early in the year, or really before the season began. So my 4-2, and two, all the teams that I picked as unders were winners. 
So that was Jacksonville four and a half, the LA Chargers at seven and a half. And even if they win this week in Kansas City, they'll end up with seven. So I make that. And then Denver was uh, an under at seven and a half, where my only win was Seattle at nine, and they've won 11. And my two losers, Dallas and Houston. So there goes my over under numbers. Not great. You know, you want to go five and one, even six and oh, dare I even say. But four and two, you live with it and you move on. And as we move on, let's get to the college football playoff. As I said last week, I'm not going to get into all the bowl games and everything that's happened and Coastal Carolina. I, I understand. That's not to knock the schools. It's not to knock the teams, the players, the students that go there or have gone there, whatever. Uh, nobody really cares. And I understand that may be a little insensitive. Come on, Jay Reels. got to talk about these bowl games. What else is there to discuss here as far as sports? We understand NBA is kicked off, but there's no hockey. And Hot Stove has pretty much been dead other than the trade last night, which I'll talk about. But to me, it's all about the college football playoff. Because even with a lot of these other teams that are playing and some of these schools have even backed out of these bowl games. But as we look ahead to Friday, 5 o'clock, the Rose Bowl being played in Arlington, which originally, as we all know, the Rose Bowl is in Pasadena. But because of the rising COVID cases in the Southern California region, the game has been moved to Jerry's World. And all I got to say about Notre Dame and Alabama, you're going to think back to the championship game, I believe that was what, in the 2012 season, where Alabama steamrolled the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and that was, of course, Monte Tayo's year, the linebacker who was an All-America and a Heisman Trophy finalist. And there's still tire treads on the back of the Notre Dame jerseys from that game. And I would think it's pretty much going to be the same here. Because the only way for Notre Dame not to just win, but to be competitive in the game, and especially be there in the second half, where they're within, let's say, I'll even give you 10 points, forget about one score, where they could be in the game, is if they run the ball down the throats of the Alabama defense. Now we know the running back Kyron Williams has had a big year, he's had over, he's had 600 yard games this year, and anything to keep the Alabama offense on the sidelines is what the recipe is for the Fighting Irish, again, not even to win the game, but just be in the game. It will help to get some turnovers. It will help to get some short fields. But other than that, I can't see Notre Dame being in this game at all. I'm sorry. I want to see a competitive game. I want to see Notre Dame win the game. I don't want to see Nick Saban's face anymore. I've seen it enough. And him winning all these national titles, I get it. But how are you going to stop this juggernaut? This offense who is putting up points left and right on any team, any defense, doesn't matter. And we've seen it time after time after time. So for Notre Dame to keep their offense and their fannies sitting on that sideline there in Arlington Stadium and AT&T Stadium and for them to not even win anything close to the time of possession. And we understand this isn't the NFL. It's not, the game is much different and it's not tailored that way as it is in college, but How else is Ian Book, who's had a very good year and should have gotten some love from the Heisman Trophy faithful? And I'll talk about that in a second, but there's no way that Notre Dame's going to be in this game. And look what happened against Clemson on a neutral field a couple weeks ago. And Clemson has been a top team with that quarterback and that coach over the last half decade. So now you're going to go up against Nick Saban and that offense and that quarterback and those wide receivers and that running back? Two words to the Notre Dame faithful. Good luck. 
And as far as the Sugar Bowl, 8 p.m., I know this is a repeat from last year's semifinal playoff game. We all know how that ended. They were down 16-0 Clemson, and they had to fight back. Now, Ohio State shot themselves in the foot several times in that first half where they had to kick field goals as opposed to going into for touchdowns. And we saw that time after time in that first half. But they should have won the game going away based on what they did in that first half. But because they weren't able to convert in the red zone and kept Clemson in the game, and we understand there was a huge call there, that taunting call on Sean Wade, which pretty much set the Clemson offense in motion. And then they end up taking the lead there late to where on the final drive, Justin Fields throws that interception in the end zone where they could have won the game. And it was just a brutal loss there for Ohio State. I don't know if we're going to see anything close to that this year. Now, Justin Fields did not have a good game against it. In fact, he had an awful game against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. So if they get a repeat performance of that, Clemson's going to go away in a blowout. But I would think that this is going to be a close game, but it's just a matter of does Clemson pull away late or let's say pull away early in the second half or does Justin Fields and Ohio State inch closer or get close late, but it's not enough for them to win the game. That's how I look at it. Because the Clemson pass rush, which has a couple of young freshmen there, and you would think that they'll do their best to try to get to Justin Fields early and often. But as we all know, Clemson and what they've done, especially with Trevor Lawrence back on the center after going through his own sickness with COVID, you would think that it's destined for them to meet Alabama one last time, especially with Trevor Lawrence being the quarterback going up against Nick Saban and his defense. And that's how I see it. It's going to be Clemson, Alabama. Same thing every year. I understand last year it wasn't the case. Alabama wasn't even in the playoff, but I think maybe just for one last time, hopefully, especially with Trevor Lawrence, the guy who is going to be the number one pick next year, the guy who I don't think is going to win the Heisman Trophy, and I could segue to that real quick. I think it's probably going to be Mac Jones. I don't think it's going to be Devontae Smith. I'd be surprised if a wide receiver gets it. It usually goes to a quarterback. So to me, if it's not Mac Jones, I'd be surprised if it's anybody else. Now, we know Kyle Trask has had a big year. Ian Book, who I think should have been part of that mix there. You could take Lawrence out because as big and as instrumental as he is to that offense, but he missed a few games due to COVID. So... For him to even qualify for that, he shouldn't be up there. Maybe Book should have been that guy instead. But at the end of the day, even with the shortened college football season, I would think that Mac Jones is going to walk away with the Heisman. And I believe that's what, January the 5th. And it'll be virtual. It won't be at the Downtown Athletic Club here in Manhattan. So that's what we have there. And again, I see it being Clemson and Alabama for your final. We could talk about that after the games next week on the podcast a week from today as we get prepared for championship game. And mind you, the championship game isn't until the Monday after that, January 11th. So unlike last year where it seemed like it was two months apart, where it was really 16 days, here it's not too bad. The football playoff is on Friday, and then the following Monday is when the championship game will be played. So we have a plenty of time to preview that even after the playoff there this coming week. And we'll talk about that, obviously, on the podcast when we get to it at the start of the new year. And then one sad note, the Utah running back, Ty Jordan, who is the Pac-12 Offensive Freshman of the Year, 
died over the weekend at the age of 19 due to a single gunshot where it had been classified as accidental. I don't know how that unfolded. I'm sure there's still news or still investigation behind that, how that took place, why did it take place, etc. But just a tragic incident there with the freshman running back. So thoughts, prayers go out to his family, the Utes of Utah and that region there for losing a young player in a one-tie Jordan. All right, before I even get to the basketball, I want to touch on Major League Baseball real quick, only because of this trade that hasn't gone through yet, but it's in the stage of not only proposal, but has to be approved, finalized, etc. Because when you look at this MLB hot stove, and I've talked about this for weeks now, how it was going to be a long, cold, hard winter, and it's certainly starting off that way. Well, the Tampa Bay Rays and the San Diego Padres took two sticks, a match, and a lot of gasoline to get that hot stove cooking because we didn't see anything happening despite the fact there have been some talks about DJ LeMahieu, and I'll talk about him in a second, but for them to start off the hot stove with this trade proposal of Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Blake Snell going to San Diego for a bunch of prospects, which would include Francisco Mejia, which I believe was a catcher that was in the Brad Hand trade to Cleveland a couple of summers back. A right-handed pitcher, or two right-handed pitchers. One is Luis Patino, who is the prize of this package, to go along with Cole Wilcox and another catcher, Blake Hunt. Which means that they did not have to trade Chris Paddock. They did not have to trade away Mackenzie Gore, their top left-handed pitching prospect, which is arguably the top pitching prospect in all of baseball this coming year, to go along with Denelson Lumet, Zach Davies, who is your fourth starter, and we know about Mike Clevenger, who's not going to pitch next year due to Tommy John, but once 2022 comes around, you're going to have a staff of Blake Snell, Mike Clevenger, Mackenzie Gore, Chris Paddock, and Denelson Lumet, which is a very solid starting five rotation. Now, we know about the Padres. They've made a lot of moves here over the last few years, going back to bringing in Eric Hosmer, obviously Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis coming up and being one of the brightest stars on the game today. And now you bring in Blake Snell, where if you're the Tampa Bay Rays, and I talked about this before and I'll say it one more time, I don't care how ranked high your farm system is. And I know throughout baseball, it's ranked as the best. But to lose Charlie Morton, who I get you're not going to pay $15 million at 37 years of age. All right, fine. But then the trade, Blake Snell after your team winning 96 games in 2019 and two victories away from winning a World Series last year, even for the seven Rays fans that are out there, this is still tough to swallow. I'm sorry. Why be in a business if you're not going to either re-sign or trade away your best players despite the fact you're going to bring back this one kid in Luis Patino who throws 97 miles an hour and he's right-handed? It seems like those guys are growing on trees in this day and age. It's just a matter of how mature they are and how they're able to perform on a big league level. And with Patino, nobody has seen him other than maybe the two or three scouts, and more than that, the two or three dozen scouts out there who watch and follow the game for a living. But you or I, we wouldn't know who Luis Patino is if they fell on us. But for the Rays, just to say, all right, we're going to rely on our farm system, and they've done it better than anybody. So who am I to tell them what to do as far as keep players, trade players, no, what are they doing? Because it's worked for them over the last few years. But you would think that you would try to keep this core together and who knows what happened with, if there was a falling out 
during the World Series. We know about Game 6 being pulled by Kevin Cash and Blake Snell being exasperated on the mound, which he had every right to. But with the moments after that game and maybe what was said afterwards between Snell and the manager or management or even the agent for Blake Snell, maybe he wanted to be out of there. Who knows? Maybe we'll learn about that as time moves on. But if you're the Rays and a team that's going up against the Yankees in that division and the Red Sox you think would bounce back and Toronto's up and coming and Baltimore's still a few years away, but it's not an easy division. It just makes you shake your head and wonder, despite them being the most resourceful team in baseball and have people in position a lot more than I would ever know, and I get that. But as a fan from afar, knowing that you've been close the last couple of years or made the playoffs the last two years and again two games away from winning a World Series for then now to lose literally two of your top starting pitchers in your rotation over the course of a month is not going to bode well to the few faithful that are out there that follow your organization so let's see what Tama does moving forward now the Washington Nationals made a trade last week for Josh Bell. He, the first baseman or former first baseman of the Pittsburgh Pirates who had his breakout year in 2019 where at the break, I believe he hit 27 homers, 84 RBIs and had a monster year. Well, his second half and then last year, even in a truncated 60 game season, certainly didn't come close to anything of what he did in that first half of 2019. But who knows? Change the scenery. Maybe a winning organization. Sorry, Pittsburgh Pirate fans. But... They get a couple of pitches in return. Who knows what that means for them down the road. I know one of the guys, Will Crow, is supposed to be a prospect. The other guy is still pretty much in single A ball, Eddie Yeen. But with the Pirates, they felt under Ben Sherrington, the old Red Sox GM, it was time for them to unload a player to try to bring back players to build their organization, to build their roster, so on and so forth. We know Josh Bell's a good guy and has been a good teammate and so on and so forth. But hey, the Pirates, as we know, worst team in baseball last year, record-wise, 19-41. And I'm sure, just like the few Ray fans that are out there, the Pirate fan is shaking their head and scratching it at the same time, saying, all right, so now we trade away our best player for two guys we don't even know. I'm going to re-up for my season tickets next year whenever they allow fans in. Said the Pirate fan, I don't think so. And then we have another passing in baseball, as if 2020 can't get the hell out of here soon enough. Nuxie, Phil Negro, the one-time New York Yankee, believe it or not, back in 1985, but well-known for his days at the Atlanta Braves, the knuckleball pitcher who had won 300 games in his career, long career, 24 years it spanned, mostly, again, with the Braves, Milwaukee Braves, also had uh, played for the Yankees, and a couple other teams had a cup of coffee with, dies at the age of 81. I know his brother Joe, I believe it passed away years before that, where Joe and Phil Necro, I believe, are the winningest pitchers as far as brothers go in Major League Baseball. So thoughts, prayers go out to him and his family. As baseball right now is just pretty quiet other than those two moves. And the Snell trade isn't even official as of yet. But as far as the free agents go, you hear all the talk about Trevor Bauer. Now DJ LeMahieu, the Mets, have reached out to his representatives to find out what they're looking for. And... I don't know. That's a tug of war that is going to be very interesting between both the Mets and Yankees right now because are the Mets, as I said last week, it seemed like the Yankees were off $25 million 
as far as the contract goes. So are the Mets going to be that team that's going to pony up the extra $25 million and procure the services of a one David John LeMahieu? Now to me, they need a center fielder in the worst way. I get that. If you put LeMahieu at second, you could maybe put McNeil at third and then your infield is set or unless you want to put Andres Jimenez, who's more of a shortstop, if you're not going to move Ahmed Rosario and put him at third, you don't want to screw up with the infield defense on a team that doesn't have great defense to begin with. And putting LeMahieu there would be a bonafide plus. But here's the thing that scares me if I'm a Met fan. Go for the center fielder. Go for Springer instead. He's a local kid from Connecticut. Anytime you get Yankees coming off pretty much back-to-back MVP years, it scares me to no end. I know that this is a new regime. I know that this is not Fred Wilpon. I get that. But it just scares me to bring a guy that's going to be, I believe, 32 come opening day and was going to want whatever, five, six years. And when you get to the back end of that contract, it's going to be off or not. And that's not to knock LeMahieu. That's not to think he can't be productive over those years. But still, I'm just weary of that. And call me a cynical Jaden Met fan. But if it walks like a duck, sounds like a duck, it's certainly not going to be a turkey. So that's all I got to say about that scenario. Now, let me get on to the NBA here because we had a very interesting opening week where we saw the Brooklyn Nets just blitz through the Golden State Warriors. And the Warriors, even though they won yesterday in Chicago, man, they had two games where they were out of it midway through the third quarter in both games as they got blitzed by Milwaukee there on Christmas Day. And then the Lakers losing to the Clippers there on opening night. No surprise. I guess the Clippers had something to prove. Paul George had a huge game that opening night, especially trying to get the taste of the postseason in the bubble against Denver, as we talked about. But what I look at here in this first week and those games there on Christmas, they were all snooze fests. And I believe the Clipper... Denver game was closer than the other four. I know the highlight, if you want to call it that, was Kawhi Leonard. He got bumped by Serge Ibaka to where it opened up a laceration in his mouth where he was bleeding all over the place. Just an ugly scene there in Denver. And I'm sure the high altitude didn't help with that. So the Clippers were able to win in Denver where all the other games were just, I could, I mean, what could you say? I know the Pelicans and Heat were close until the Heat pulled away late. Golden State, Milwaukee. Milwaukee just trounced them and won by 36, I believe. Boston and Brooklyn was a game until you got to the third quarter where Kyrie and Kevin Durant took over. And before you know it, that was a blowout. The Lakers handled the Dallas Mavericks pretty well. No doubt there. And then you had the Clippers and Denver round out your Christmas Day schedule. Now, one note was the game yesterday, and I understand no Kawhi Leonard, but how in the hell are you going to be down at halftime? First off, not only just score 27 points in today's NBA, but to be down by 50 in the process. How is that remotely possible? This isn't the NBA of the mid to late 90s where every game was 82-78, or so it seemed, or where You shoot so poorly that you can't even get to 50. Most people get to 50 in their sleep in the NBA today. And for them to not even get to 30, and not only that, but to be down by 50 and then lose by 51 points, that is as inexcusable as a loss. I don't care if Kawhi didn't play. I I don't want to hear it. A Clippers. I could see if this was one of the worst teams in the league or a team that you would expect it to be where they get blown up by 51. And then at home, no less. 
Granted, no fans, understood, but that is just... I, I couldn't believe it when I saw that score on my phone yesterday. I had to do a triple take. I thought maybe it was in reverse. I thought maybe Dallas lost by that much, which that would have been an embarrassment on their part considering they lost in that building to the Lakers two nights earlier. But still, for any team to lose by 50 in an NBA game is just an utter, complete embarrassment. So that's what you got early on in the NBA. You're not going to get crazy with records. and uh, Please, we're, we're five days into the season. But we know Christmas Day has to be discussed and highlighted and not really any games that were competitive or anything that's going to get your juices flowing as far as the NBA is concerned. But if you're a diehard fan and you were looking forward to it and just salivating over the thought of watching 13 hours of basketball, well, you got it. It wasn't great basketball, but you got it nonetheless. And we'll continue the march through it as we get to the end of this year and into next year. Now, once again, I got to throw this in the mix. Another passing in the NBA just, what was it, four, five, six weeks ago, the Celtics lost Tommy Heinsohn. Now they lose Casey Jones. One-time Celtic, also Celtic coach, won eight titles as a player, three as a coach, one as an assistant, and then two as the head coach of the 84 and 86 teams. Dies at the age of 88. And I hate to say this, not that I'm wishing this upon for anything. But with three days left in this year, you hold your breath as to who's going to be next year. And not even just in sports, in entertainment, whatever. Hopefully that's not the case. I certainly am not, knock on wood, wishing on that. But, geez, when does this ever stop? And it goes back to what I said at the very top, people. Just because a new year's on the horizon and that we could say, ah, 2021 doesn't mean that the world or things like this are going to cease. That's why we... Have to put this all in perspective. So, without getting back on that high horse again. So, Casey Jones, thoughts, prayers, etc. go out to him. And sadly, before we bid adieu, there's also one more of these I got to go through. So, we'll, uh, I'll touch on that in a little bit. But that's your NBA right now. As for college basketball, the only thing to really discuss here, sadly, is Jay Wright of Villanova. Where all team activities have to be paused because he has come down with COVID-19. So we wish him for a speedy recovery and for Villanova to get back on the beam. We understand this is going to pop up throughout the course of the season. So, But other than that, Gonzaga continues to roll. Kentucky loses again. They're now 1-6 to start their year. And I'm not going to say they're in danger of not making it to the NCAA. It's still a little bit too early to do that because teams make it in at 20-12. and 12. And you would think Kentucky, by accident, will make it into the tournament, barring them going under 500 or something crazy happens. But... They're one and six. So they got a lot of work to do and a lot of games to win before they even think about going into the tournament and March Madness, etc. But this is a couple of things from college basketball just to note right now. Other than that, everything is pretty much chalk. And also, I didn't mention this last week, so I'll say this right now. Good news, at least, thank goodness, where the forward from Florida, Keontae Johnson, not only is recovering, but he's been released from the hospital. Had a lot of thank yous there that he posted on Twitter, social media, etc. So let's just, uh, at least we could exhale there at the sight and the thought of the young kid who collapsed on the court there against Florida State a couple of weeks back. And now he's recovered and he's doing well. So that is at least a little bit of silver lining here as far as players or coaches or the health of our sports world. So good to see that there with Keontae Johnson. And hopefully he is doing well. And I'm sure thanking his lucky stars for how that turned out. So that's pretty much it with college basketball. I know we'll pay more attention to that. And in the NHL, real quick, 
as the season will start on the 13th, and I believe training camps are starting to open up this week as well as even into next week. Big news out of Tampa where Nikita Kucherov is not going to be part of the team for the regular season as he underwent hip surgery or is actually going to undergo hip surgery this week. So the 56-game regular season out. Maybe he'll be back in time for the postseason. If not, first round, depending on how far Tampa Bay goes into the Stanley Cup playoffs, certainly remains to be seen. But at the same time, you're not going to see him for the regular season, which is a big blow as they try to defend their cup. And I didn't mention this last time, but Henrik Lundqvist, the longtime Ranger who signed with the Capitals, unfortunately, here I am talking about health, now I'm going to go the other way. We wish him a speedy recovery as he discovered he has an issue with his heart, so he's not going to play this year, he's going to step down, and again, wishing him a speedy recovery, geez, I feel like this is almost a mass unit and obituary, what can you say? This is never going to end, people, it always seems to be a player, a coach, Somebody from the sports world that's either fighting through something like this or gone through something like this or even worse, perish in the process. But uh, let me exhale here as I uh, try to wind down here on and land this on a good note because as I lead into my hero and zero of the week, because we'll pretty much go into that right now as we've touched on everything that's happening here in the world of sports. My hero of the week goes to Hall of Famer and one-time Pittsburgh Steeler, Carolina Panther, Los Angeles Ram. Kevin Green died on Monday, a few hours after I published this podcast at the age of 58. To this very moment, we don't even know what the cause of death was, and we just hope that it wasn't anything, listen, death is serious as we all know, but we hope it isn't anything that was self-inflicted, let me just put it that way. Now we know that Kevin Green had that great spirit, I'm sure you've watched all the NFL films, him on the sidelines, acting like a maniac or on the field ramping up the crowd, or just, just just being Kevin Green. And we just hope that the inner demons didn't get him, if that's the case. I hope that it is not the case. Sadly, he's not here anymore. We know that. But we've seen it time and time again with these players. And because the death being unknown right now, it's up in the air as to what it could be. Was it natural causes? Was it due to stress? Through his heart? We don't even know. But with all that being said, Thoughts, prayers go out to the Green family, to the NFL, to all the Hall of Famers, everybody out there. Just an untimely passing, 58 years of age, a guy who had 160 career sacks, third all time, behind Bruce Smith and Reggie White. And what could you say? Just uh, terrible news to hear last Monday with the former Steeler and Hall of Fame linebacker, Kevin Green. And then my zero of the week is going to go to Memphis guard Grayson Allen. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but in their game against the Atlanta Hawks where Trey Young was going up the court and then he was double teamed, Grayson Allen, and I don't know who the other player was off the top of my head, but you could see in the replay that he actually tried to trip Trey Young and we know that Grayson Allen has had this history going back to his days at Duke. It was evident he was trying to do so. There was even a little Twitter banter between Young and Grayson Allen to where he sarcastically, Grayson Allen that is, came out and says, oh, I hope you're not hurt. I'm sorry for what took place, blah, blah, blah. Grayson Allen, can we please grow up? Can we please be a professional NBA player and not act like a goon or a clown or think that whatever happened in college, you could translate that to the pros because that will get shut down real quick. So you, my guy, are my zero of the week. 
Alright, so that'll do it for episode 170, but that does not mean that this is the final episode of the J Reels podcast for 2020. That's right. This coming Thursday, the final day of the year, the final podcast, which will be episode 171, brings in a very special guest. I get that this is probably for the niche fan of hockey who loves the rough stuff, who loves the, to what I thought was the best era of hockey in the 80s to early 90s. One time Philadelphia Flyer and Vancouver Canuck Daryl Stanley will join me. A very interesting conversation that we had talking about not only his career, having to come back from a car accident that he suffered during his days from Philadelphia, what it was like to play on those Flyer teams, what it was like to be just in that era of rough hockey where he had three or four teammates that were just as tough and physical as he was. And we also recount the famous brawl, which was not only historic, because it happened before a clinching playoff game in 1987, but it set the tone for what lied ahead as far as rules and bench clearing brawls go after that and pretty much was the beginning and the end of fighting in the league as we know it. So a very interesting conversation with him. He was a one-time defenseman, winger of the Flyers, and we talk about his days growing up in Canada, also his days in the NHL, the toughest guy he fought, etc. So I get it may not be for everybody, and it's more closer to my heart, but at the same time, you're going to learn a lot about what hockey was like in the 80s, him playing in Stanley Cup Finals against Wayne Gretzky. You'll get a lot of good nuggets from him, so please, you'll stay tuned for that this coming Thursday around 12 noon. So you want to be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast because when you do that, let's say if you, once you finish listening to this and you go to wherever podcasting platform that you use, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player, Amazon Music, if you go ahead and hit subscribe, what happens is that the minute this posts, so let's say every Monday around, eh, we'll say 4 or 5 o'clock, when you hit subscribe, it's going to pop up on your phone. Same that come 12 noon on Thursday, my Guest in my interview with Daryl Stanley will pop up on your phone. So all you got to do is either download it or just hit play. So whether that means you're on the treadmill, whether you're commuting to work, whether you're at home cooking, cleaning, getting ready to pop the bubbly to wish 2020 goodbye, all you got to do is just hit play after you subscribe, rate, and review. Because all that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And in turn, get that type of guest, whether it's the former or current athlete, the studio host, the blogger, writer, broadcaster to share their experience with me so in turn i can share that with all you guys so please if you haven't done so already subscribe rate and review this podcast if you want to send me a message you want to keep that banter question comment criticism praise whatever it is like i said in the very beginning of this podcast you could do so on any of my social media accounts whether it's on instagram at j reels or the j reels podcast which is strictly sports on twitter j reels one just a number on facebook the j reels podcast or if you want to send me an email, the old-fashioned way, you could do so at the jreelspodcast at gmail.com. So please, send whatever's on your mind. Send whatever you have. I don't care what it is. I'll be able to respond. That's what I do. I definitely want to get your thoughts, your feelings, etc. Not only just about the podcast, anything. So send it away. I'll be more than happy to read it. And then finally, when it comes to contributing to this podcast, behind the scenes, the website, everything that goes with the equipment, to keep the website up, to keep myself abreast on everything that's happening technologically, to put forth the best podcast that I could possibly produce, you could do so on my Patreon page, which is P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. So that's www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to contribute, I don't care what it is. That's going to go 100% to everything that I do to keep this podcast up and running. 
Because whether it's your first time listening, 10th time, 20th, 100th, 150th, or right now your 170th time, again, as I said from the very top, I appreciate you guys. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Not only that, but even more so. You know I love to talk about sports. It's in my blood. It's in the DNA since birth to share everything with you that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, Peace, love, and God bless everybody. An early Happy New Year, but come back here on Thursday where my guest, Daryl Stanley, will share his NHL experience with you guys. So I hope you get to tune in. And until next time on the J-Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.